okay? Big issues because the message is a little bit complicated, but we get into some issues that the church is facing in the book of Acts. So we're going to be talking about those big issues. We're going to go deep into what those big issues were, which is why it gets a little bit complicated. But in a broad perspective, we're going to look at dealing with issues, okay, big issues in the church. And so we've got some big issues to discuss. Now, last week was Acts chapter 14. We're in Acts chapter 15 this week. Um, And we talked about our response to opposition, okay? And for the most part, we talked about opposition from the outside, opposition from non-believers, right? And in, in the case of our story, it was Pharisees or very religious Jews who were sticking to the all the Jewish tradition and they didn't accept Jesus as being uh, the Messiah that they were waiting for because Jesus didn't look like what they thought he should, right? So we talked about what Paul and Barnabas's response was to that opposition. And the response was to move on, okay? They did their job at each city they went to. They first went to the synagogues. They first spoke to the Jews, but there were those Jews who would refuse and continually refuse and even get hostile about it, even start to attack and literally stone um, and make murder attempts on the lives of Paul and Barnabas. And so they would move on. It wasn't running away because if you, if you look at it, Paul and Barnabas don't really run away. They face up to the opposition, and then it's, okay, we're moving on because these people have heard the message. They've, it's gone forth with, if you remember, boldness, right, and effectiveness. We talked about that, that the message in all of our adaptations to the opposition, the message can't change. And every city they went to, they preached the same message. Every synagogue they went into, they preached the same message. All the Pharisees that they had to stand before, they preached the same message. It doesn't matter who the opposition is or if there's opposition. The message has to be the same. But there are times to move on. There is time to adapt. When, when, and we talked about when, it, when ministry just isn't working the way it used to, when people just are refusing to receive uh, the word, when... Um, You've spent all your time on on certain people, and you've chosen to neglect others. That's when we move on. So we talked about all that. And we did examine the fact that we can be the opposition, right? We talked about the fact that we cannot always assume we are the good guys. If you look at the parables of Jesus, and we we use the good, uh, not the, the parable of the prodigal son, as an example, but if you look at just about all the parables Jesus preaches, especially the ones where he uses humans as an example, the good, gracious, beneficent, merciful character is never us. It's always God, God the Father. It's always how he looks at us and how he treats us and and his mercy to a sinner who repents, right? And the villain of the story Sometimes it's Satan, but oftentimes it's not even Satan, it's, it's us. It's the religious people, it's the Pharisees, it's the people who get in the way um, of the gospel going forth. And I'm not accusing anybody of that, but it's our kind of people is what I'll say. And, and we tend to go that way. We tend to build boxes. We tend to say, no, this is how ministry's done. 
no, this is the word that needs to be said. No, these are the people that have to be reached, and we get stuck in those circles. All that being said, this week, the opposition we're going to examine, because there is opposition, is from the inside. Okay? Believers, Christians. We're going to be looking at two different stories, but they're both in Acts chapter 15, about how opposition arose among the believers, that there was disagreement, that there was debate, and that it had to be dealt with. And again, as I said, we, we have to examine this in two parts because when I was preparing the sermon, my first thought, I read the whole chapter, of course, a couple times, and I was like, okay, the chapter is basically about dealing with issues inside the church. But the story is so deep in the issue that the example gives us. Um, it's, it's too theologically deep to just to skip over. And so we got, I got into it pretty deep. So we're going to get into that. So it's kind of a two-part because we're going to get into the meat of everything they talked about. But from a broad perspective, we're going to talk about dealing with issues. All right? All right. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Obviously, the thing that they say there, that's what we're really going to focus on. So let's talk circumcision. <laughs> we're not going to get into too much detail, um, but circumcision a physical act, right, physical um, sign, was given to Abraham, the first Jew, when God uh, called him and called his family to be separate from the world, to be different from the world. Now, we're going to probably talk about it a bit more later, but circumcision in a lot of cultures, and especially in this area, actually pardon, like, you know, the imagery, but they value the foreskin. They actually place value on it, the Greeks especially, um, as you know, in the, the Olympic Games and all that, they would compete in the nude, and you shouldn't really be circumcised was their idea. And they actually valued it, and so when Abraham is com commanded to circumcise himself and his whole family, it's different from the world. It's different from what the world does, what the world looks like. And circumcision was around, but now it's commanded by God for Abraham and all of his family and all of his offspring, which leads to the entire Jewish nation. So what this represents is these people are mine because they're different from the rest of the world. I've called them out to be different, and circumcision is a sign of that. And it's also a sign of the covenant that they had entered into God with, that God has given us so many promises, and we're going to be faithful to him in light of those promises. That's the covenant relationship we have with God. So fast forward into this New Testament period, circumcision has been kept on by the Israelites throughout the whole thing. They failed sometimes, which is very important to note. Sometimes they weren't circumcised. Um, when they were led out of Egypt, any child that was born during that trip wasn't circumcised because the trip was too dangerous. You, you couldn't bother uh, having a child be circumcised 
and then having to deal with that while you're out in the desert and you might not have the resources to care for that. And so for a period they weren't, and then there's a point where Joshua says, okay, we need to get this together, and he has everybody get circumcised again, and, and they catch up. Um, and we see there's other times throughout Scripture where, okay, hey, we've, we've walked away from God in this. We need to get back on it, get circumcised. So the Israelites kept it up the whole time. But here's another key part. The uncircumcised, from the Jewish perspective, the Israelite perspective, now the uncircumcised are looked down upon. And they, they're talked down upon, too. And the term uncircumcised is used as like a slander, right? And if you can remember from the story of David and Goliath, David literally calls Goliath this uncircumcised Philistine, right? So he's a Philistine. That, that's not necessarily, necessarily slander. Um, that was their enemy, right? But he's an uncircumcised Philistine. And that shows where he's at. He's not of God. He's not God's calls, not God's chosen. And so... That, that made the point for David's case. The uncircumcised are looked down upon. But we need to get back into what they say. Okay, that's circumcision. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, okay, that's fine, you cannot be saved. You cannot be saved. They're not just saying, hey, you got to do this because it's a good thing to do. They're not saying you got to do this um, because... God has commanded it for all who believe um, or all who are saved. They say you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. And what this is, in short, and this is why we have to get into this, is they're preaching salvation by works, okay? Or at least works plus Jesus, right? Or Jesus plus works. They're saying that you can and you have to earn God's salvation, that not only is it possible for you to earn God's salvation by doing the right things, but also that's the only way it's going to happen. You have to do the right things. You have to take the right steps. You have to do this physical act and have this physical sign upon you if you're going to be considered saved, if you're going to be considered God's child. But what do our good works bring to the table? Right, if we're talking about works plus Jesus, okay, we got Jesus, the atoning blood that covers all sin, that bore all sin upon himself, that, that the body that rose from the dead, right, and is now seated with God in the heavenlies, that we can be participants in, that Jesus plus, you know, I clean the dishes, or maybe something better than that, plus you know, I talked to somebody about Jesus. Plus, I led somebody to the Lord, right? I led them to the Jesus that actually did the saving, right? But we throw our works in there a lot of the time, and um, they don't do much. They don't add anything to the equation. And that's exactly what these Jews have fallen into. They've fallen into the belief that their act adds something, that it, it does something. I mean, yeah, we need Jesus, but we've been following this code this whole time, and now it's like, okay, and add on a little bit of Jesus, sprinkle him on there, and we can get salvation. Now, I have an example from a 
person I really look up to who get a lot of spiritual um, like mentorship from. And you guessed it, that's Rocky Balboa. So Rocky, if you could turn in your heads to Rocky Chapter 4. Um, <laughs> seriously, though, Rocky Episode 4, right, is the best one, okay, where Rocky Balboa stops the Cold War, okay? <laughs> he brings peace to the world by fighting Ivan <laughs> Drago. Yep. Much bigger, much stronger, doing steroids, all that stuff. And the good American natural Rocky beats him up. But what's sad in that movie is, of course, Apollo Creed was the first one to fight Drago. And in that fight, he gets beat up, getting destroyed by this Russian man in the ring. And Rocky's on the sideline there, coaching. And Apollo had told Rocky, don't throw in the towel, right? Don't throw in the towel. Now, back to scripture real quickly. Paul says that our righteousness, my righteousness, is like filthy rags before God. Filthy rags, or let's say a filthy towel. And Apollo says, don't throw in the towel. Don't surrender. And that's what they do. And Apollo dies as a result of it. He's getting beat up, beat up by this Russian. And he gets smacked too many times. And he dies as a result of it because they didn't throw in the towel. In other Rockies and stuff, the towel thrown in has a big deal, of course, too. And that, in fact, yeah, Rocky fights Drago and he has to throw in the towel. And then he has to fight him again. But I want you to think about that for a second when you're fighting in the ring like that, okay, and getting beat up by the world. And that's what our righteous acts is like. We're swinging at the world, seeking salvation, right, seeking victory, and the world is just beating us up, Ivan Drago, okay? And we're beating ourselves up. And if we hold on to that filthy rag, and think it does something for us instead of surrendering and throwing in the towel, right? Throwing off those filthy rags and believing instead that there's some higher power that can save us, that there is a God and there is a Jesus that can save us. Unless we do that, we're in for a heap of trouble. These believers again, are, are likely Jewish. It doesn't say that there, but they're very likely Jewish if they're preaching this. Um, by ethnicity, most likely, and certainly uh, by religion as well. And I say religion on purpose. They're pushing their own culture, their own preferences, and their own practices on others who don't even come from that background. Okay? And they're doing this in God's name, saying that that's the only way you can be saved. They're speaking a language that only God should be allowed to speak, right? Either through his word, through his mouth, or maybe through his mouthpieces, if we could be graced, though. Amen? 
But they're speaking in God's name, saying that the only way to be saved is through these acts that we've continued to do that you've never done, so you better hop on board. Now, I don't want to say too much like they're terrible people um, because there are people just like us who get stuck in their ways and who believe that that's the way it ought to be done. And again, they have reason because God commanded them to do this. So they have reason to believe this, and I don't want to act like they're terrible people. But what they're doing ultimately is assuming that their way is God's way or that the way that God has worked in them is the way that he's going to work in others, that the things that they've been called to do, to step out in faith in, are exactly the same things everybody else is going to have to step out in faith in and do. And again, let's not assume you know, that we're the heroes of the story, that we're the innocent Gentiles in this case, but that we can get stuck in our ways too and we can start to push upon others our preferences, our practices, and our cultures. And, and that's a big part of just the overall battles in the church in America is culture. We get stuck in these cultures and we've got black churches and we've got white churches and we've got Hispanic churches and all these kinds of churches and they all serve a purpose. Um, but we're all the church and, and some, some fail to recognize that and we get stuck in that culture and assume that that's the way it has to be done. Let's continue on in the story. Acts chapter 15, verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Two things, okay? The first one is just that idea of... Um, what is it? Sharp dispute and debate. Sharp dispute and debate. There's another verse later that we're going to look at that really talks in a similar language about sharp di dispute and debate. So we'll get into more of that later. But what we really need to notice here is this is believers and believers. Okay? Because Jews or these people wouldn't be preaching you need to be circumcised in order to be saved if they didn't believe in being saved by Jesus, okay? So they are believers, and they believe that they've been saved by Jesus, and I believe they have been too. But they're preaching now a doctrine of Jesus plus works, Jesus plus circumcision, okay? And this causes argument between Paul and Barnabas who don't believe in Jesus plus and these believers who do. Now, second and more importantly, we see that Paul and Barnabas were appointed to go back to the church leaders with this question. Now I want to make this point to you. First villain. No one has all the answers. But some have godly wisdom. No one has all the answers. But some have godly wisdom. We can. Get very prideful very quickly. When it comes to a situation like this. Paul and Barnabas could have been like. No we know what's right. We know what the situation is. Why do we need to seek any guidance on this. We know what God's word says. We know what God has told us. And we know that this is not right to, to force this circumcision upon the Jews. Or upon the Gentiles, pardon me, by the Jews. And this, we can't get stuck in that. We have to humble ourselves and acknowledge that uh, our leaders, spiritual leaders, 
godly people, people with godly wisdom, are valuable. This is especially important, I think, when dealing with internal issues. When we're talking about an issue within the church, if you have an issue with somebody outside the church, that's expected. I mean, you're not them and they're not you and you're not even close. But when we're called to be a body, when we're called to be a bunch of different parts, all a part of one body, when we're called to work in unity, and even though we're different, that we are all joined together in one united thing, and that is Christ as the head, right? Jesus saves, and that's it, right? Not works. When we're called to look like one, we got to figure these things out, and we got to expect these things to happen, and that's when we need to seek godly wisdom. And it's not people with all the answers. It's not people who are God. <laughs> like, that's not what godly means. It's not that they're holier. It's not that they're smarter. They might be. They might be. Although holier would obviously be questionable. It's not that they are these things. It's that they're godly. That's the idea of godly wisdom. Godly wisdom doesn't mean even, it doesn't mean even experience. It doesn't mean brains. It doesn't mean smarts. It doesn't mean schooling. It doesn't mean training. Godly wisdom can come in all types of forms. It, it can come from those things, and without a doubt. But the only qualification that's needed in order to be able to help people solve some issues, in order to be able to answer some questions, is to be godly to be like God, to be close to God, to seek God, to have his spirit within us. I mean, we see time and time again throughout Acts that every time they speak with power and authority and boldness and effectiveness, it's always through the Holy Spirit. It's not themselves. It's not that they all of a sudden became a great preacher who knew every, every part of Scripture and who knew exactly what every part of Scripture meant. It's not that they did a ton of research. It's that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and who knows better what the Word of God says than God himself, right? And God is able to fill them with wisdom that can't come from themselves, but can only come from God. Those are the people we seek for help in dealing with internal issues. Now, this, this church in Acts has to figure out this problem quickly, because this, one, this is a big issue, okay, and we're going to get more and more into why, but you can see they're preaching salvation by works. And if you know anything about church history, salvation by works and salvation by grace are very much opposed to each other and people fall on all different sides and you can fall way the left and the right. It's the same thing we see in our political system and in, in the world. You can go way to the right, you can go way to the left, you can, you can be in between a little bit or you can think you are at least. And there's, there's so much debate in this area, and the church has to figure it out quickly before it gets out of hand. Because from a Jewish perspective, these Jews, every Gentile has to be circumcised, and if they're not, that's it. And from a Gentile perspective, what do you mean I have to be circumcised? I have to do this physical act. I have to do this ritual in order to be saved. I thought Jesus saved me. And just like last week, talking about making adjustments, right, moving on to the next thing, this is another adjustment that has to be made. Not, I can do this myself, I can figure this out myself, or 
just expecting God to just plop some knowledge in your brain. You got to make adjustments and seek godly wisdom, not being too proud to do so, but humbling ourselves, seeking God and seeking God's wise. So, Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, and they share their story. They tell the people, hey, God's been doing amazing, thing am- amazing things among the Gentiles. We didn't expect it to happen this way, but it is. Every time we go into a synagogue, uh, you know, some Jews hear the message, but there's always persecution coming from there. But when we go to the Gentiles, it's been great, and people are receiving the word. They're believing. They truly believe. They're receiving baptism in the Holy Spirit, just like we saw with Cornelius' household with Peter. They're, they're being saved, and it's evident in their lives, in the way that they act, in the things that they say. It's amazing. They tell their story, and we'll pick up in verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, so there we go, now the Pharisees are involved again, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So, pause right there, just so you know. They go to the church in Jerusalem. Peter's still there. James, the brother of Jesus, is there. We're going to talk about him. Um, and then there's other, you know, other big names. It's, it's the spiritual guys who have already, who already God has exposed so much of his, his will to, right? Peter has had some amazing revelations, and we're going to see James will see the same thing. So Peter gets up and addresses them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. That's the story of Cornelius that we talked about a while ago. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So, a couple things to notice in Peter's speech. This is the, the broader perspective here about solving issues. Okay, Peter speaks out of his experience. He talks about stories he's, he's got. Right? You remember when God gave me this vision and I went and preached to Cornelius' household, and they spoke in tongues, and it was amazing, and maybe more has happened since, we don't know, but he speaks out of experience, he speaks out of God's nature, he says, God who, uh, where was it, God who knows the heart, pardon me, God who knows the heart, speaks to God's nature, his experience, history, he talks about circumcision and how, and, and these, the law of Moses that we're trying to put upon the Gentiles, and we haven't even kept it. We haven't even been able to keep up. History, God's nature, experience, and Jesus' message, he draws on as well. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. He draws on 
these things and, and more you could say. And this is an example of godly wisdom. This is what it looks like. Okay. Yes, he has experience, um, and you don't need experience. But when you've got experience, you draw on it. Yes, he knows his history. You don't have to know your history. But when you do, you can draw on it. God will use whatever it is that you do have. God's nature, right? We, none of us can comprehend all of God's nature. But what we do know, we can draw on. And some of us may, may know or emphasize or believe certain aspects of God better than others. Okay, and others may have something else that's stronger. And somebody who comes to us with a problem in, in a certain area, we may be able to speak to it in a way that they haven't thought because that's not the way they perceive things. That's not how they view God. They may view God in, in justice and his wrath and his power and all of that's really true, but they may leave off some of the grace. They may forget, hey, you know what? That, that's true, but God is a merciful God. God is a gracious God. Or the other way around, whatever it might be, that's all a part of godly wisdom. And Jesus' message, understanding what it was Jesus preached, and that's the same thing we're going to preach. And Jesus didn't preach this. Jesus never gave a caveat. Jesus never said that you got to also do this. So I don't believe you do. It's about believing in Jesus' message, not just knowing it, but actually ex receiving that as true and everything that we need. True godly wisdom. He says God knows the heart. God who knows the heart, God who sees the heart. That, I think we underestimate that sometimes because humans are limited to physical appearance and things that we've actually seen. I don't care how much you might say, like, I, you know, I see your heart or, you know, God bless your heart, whatever it might be. I don't care how much you can say those things. You, you can't, okay? You cannot see the heart, and we can't even judge our own hearts. We can't even know ourselves, but God can. God sees the heart. He knows the heart, and he doesn't have to judge based on outward appearance. He's not limited by the limitations that we have. He's not in our box. He sees every part of it. And he speaks about the Holy Spirit being given and says that that's a sign of God's approval and God's acceptance, that the Holy Spirit shows us they're in, basically. That's, that shows us they've got a, a ticket, okay? That shows us that they are saved. One of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago when I happened to be here for the um, uh, midweek Holy Spirit discussion, we talked about the Holy Spirit as a seal. And we talked about what that means. And, and a seal, the idea of that would be, you know, that wax seal on an envelope. You can think of it like that. And that, that's what it would have been, except probably on a scroll. And they put a wax seal on that. And it, it, it's, it's stamped with the authority of somebody who, who wrote that letter. And it can't be opened by anybody except by the person it's supposed to be received by. And if it is, then that person's going to get killed. The Holy Spirit is our seal. It's a sign that we have been stamped with the authority of Jesus and that because of that, 
got a ticket that we we're going to a destination and we can only be opened up <laughs> at that destination that only God has the authority only Jesus has the authority to open the seal amen the Holy Spirit is that symbol that seal Peter says it is by faith by faith and this really speaks to what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 4 which is Abraham's faith and Paul says that Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith that Abraham received righteousness because of his faith and Paul asks the question was it after he was circumcised or before and declares it was not after but before that Abraham was declared righteous circumcision was not even a part of Abraham's righteousness or Abraham's salvation story what was a part of it faith belief firm belief in God's promises firm enough belief to be circumcised but the faith was prior to the circumcision the faith was prior to the action and that's what Peter is saying here our actions come out of that faith they don't precede it even the Jews have failed to maintain circumcision and the law what Peter mentions there the Jews even us even we have failed to maintain this law this code of circumcision and everything else that the law entails we fail it every day and we failed it year after year generation after generation not a single person has come and gone who has not failed the law who has not failed to fulfill it it's something we cannot bear and this is all seen a lot in the new testament that the law is is too much for us that the law is so good and so perfect that we cannot bear it that we cannot fulfill it it's something we cannot carry that word for for bearing literally means to carry to take it up and it, the law is too heavy too weighty for us to carry on our own at least and this is exactly why we need faith in Jesus because we do believe that Jesus carried that law to the utmost that Jesus fulfilled every part of the law to the utmost and that it was something we cannot do and therefore we need faith that Jesus did do it and faith that we can be participants in what Jesus did we are saved by grace that's the last thing he, par he says there no we believe it is through grace we're saved by grace and not by the works of the law and this there's a there's a popular verse I could have put there but it's all throughout the New Testament we're saved by grace and not by the works of the law not by circumcision not by the Ten Commandments as we see when the rich young ruler comes before Jesus Lord what must I do to inherit salvation what must I do to have eternal life and Jesus says hey have you kept the commandments and he said absolutely every single one of them ever since I was born he was a good Jew he said, okay, all right, how about you give to the poor? Because that's in the law, too. You just may not have recognized it. 
and the man goes away sad because he had great wealth. We all fail the law. We all struggle to keep it, and even when we keep certain parts of it, none of it can save us. We're only saved by grace. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, I'm going to read in a second, but it's Paul speaking. Paul, so not Peter, okay, but it's Paul speaking, and he's actually speaking to Peter in a way. He says, look, Peter once said this, but he's forgotten it. Peter started to give in to the pressure of the Jews who believe that circumcision is necessary. Paul says, so let me give you a reminder here, because this is exactly what I told Peter. And here's what he says. We who are Jews by birth, that that would be Peter, that would be Paul, that would be James, that would be everybody we're talking about. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. If you hold on to that filthy rag, it's never going to get you anywhere. Salvation can only come when we surrender and have faith that Jesus can save us. And let me say this. You cannot buy your way into heaven. And that's heard all the time as well. You cannot buy your way into heaven. But I want to sit there for a second. Imagine handing God that dirty towel and saying, look, look, this is what I can do. Okay, this is what I'm bringing to the table. Now, now wipe me clean. (laughs) What does that do? Nothing. What does it bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. When we bring God our dirty clothes and say, here, you just put these in the laundry, all right, you can give these a wash real quick, but they're not ever going to be what they're meant to be. They're not robes of light and righteousness that Jesus is clothed in and that we're promised to also be clothed in. They can't truly cover up our nakedness because God sees the heart. And what can clothe our hearts? What do we have that can clothe our hearts? Absolutely nothing. We can wear the fanciest clothes. We can wear the ugliest sweaters. It doesn't matter. When we come before God, we need to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. We cannot buy our way into heaven. No act you can do, no words you can say, none of that will get you into heaven. It's not, it's, you can even say a prayer of faith, but if, unless that faith is present, worthless Romans chapter 10 says that we are saved when we declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead so there is a declaration with the mouth and that is the profession of faith that shows faith it proves faith but there is a belief of the heart paired along with that Let's continue in the story. Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. It's a long part, but it's all part of a big speech here. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up again. That's James, the brother of Jesus. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people. Simon is Peter, by the way. 
to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this I will return. This is God speaking. After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, the house of Israel. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind, the Gentiles, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Things known from long ago. It is my judgment. This is James now speaking for himself. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, that was a lot there, and I want to get that last section kind of out of the way because we're going to talk about some, some deeper things. So that last little bit there, instead we should write to them telling to them to abstain from food polluted by idols. The idea there is eating meat that came from an animal that was sacrificed to an idol. That's usually the association, okay? So if an if animal was sacrificed to an idol, sometimes they would cook the meat as part of the sacrifice. Sometimes, you know, people just take that animal and then they cook it. And right here, James is saying, don't, don't eat that food. So stay away from that. And he's not saying it because that's a law that believers need to follow, because you'll see Paul later, he writes um, that you don't, that, that if you believe you can eat it, then you can eat it. If you can eat it in faith, you can do it in faith. But here James says, stay away from that. And the idea is because of its appearance and the association with evil. Okay, so you definitely don't want to be doing it publicly, just throwing it around there, because that's going to cause a lot of Jews to have a lot of questions. It's going to cause a lot of Jews to stumble. It's, it's going to be a stumbling block for your brothers and sisters on the Jewish side of things because they're going to say, I, I, no, no, I don't think food polluted by idols is, is acceptable. I understand, okay, maybe we can, maybe they don't have to be circumcised, but the meat. So James here encourages them, hey, don't, don't cause your brothers and sisters to stumble. Sexual immorality, now this one's a little different because we would say sexual immorality is, is uh, abhorred and should be um, abstain from in every situation. So it's it's a much different sit, uh, scenario. Uh, but we, from what I read, scholars that I read, um, the idea here is probably because this was such a particular temptation and very prevalent in the area, and it even was a part of religious rituals. And so it does go in line in that way. That James is here saying, hey, stay away from sexual morality, stay away from temple prostitution and all those things that are were a part of your old religion. You got to throw those things away. You got to get rid of those um, because that is not an example of what we are to be and that is sin against God. And then the last part, meat strangled and blood, right? Meat that from animals that have been strangled and blood. Those go together because if you strangle an animal and you don't drain out the blood, now it's got blood all up your meat, okay? And the idea here is similar to the first one that, that that might be too much for some people to take because in the Old Testament, God commanded them, don't eat the blood of strangled animals or, or don't eat the meat of strangled animals and don't drink the blood of animals, stay away from blood. Um, and most 
most cultures learn that on their own anyway. You stay away from blood. You shouldn't really be drinking it. You shouldn't really be eating meat that hasn't had the blood drained from it. And so it's possible it's just a universal law, and that's why it's also in here. Um, but I would say particularly, again, it's, hey, let's not cause our brothers and sisters to stumble and struggle with what you do out of your freedom. Let's not, let's not do that right now because circumcision is step number one, so we'll deal with that first. So he leaves the Gentiles with a few rules. And what's important to know, if you read the letter part, it says, for your benefit. Okay, it, w- it would be beneficial to you if you, if you kept these commands. So he, he's not totally just concerned about making sure you look okay to the Jews. It's, hey, we don't want to cause problems. We don't want to cause dissension purposefully among believers. That's another thing we should do. Just stay away from dissension anyway. So let's, let's guard against future problems by, hey, keep these. But now that we've solved the circumcision thing, you know, that's it. You're good. Leaves them with a few rules. But his main emphasis And this I love. He says we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. His main emphasis is let's let's not make this difficult for them. Let's not put a bunch of roadblocks in their ways. And now you have to be circumcised as well. And now you have to stay away from all these practices. And now you've got to throw out all your possessions or whatever they might say. And you've got to leave your family and you've got to serve in the temple or whatever it might be. Let's not make it difficult for them. And, hey, let's take it into our context. New believer walks in like, hey, you got to change your shirt right now because that thing does not look appropriate. Or, hey, you know what? You need to clean your mouth because you're in the house of God and you, you just accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or even if they haven't accepted, we throw in stumbling blocks in the way of people who might earnestly be seeking God. People who need to hear a message and not a command from a people who don't even keep those commands. Does that make sense? Okay. And after today, if anyone walks in here with a shirt that you don't like, I mean, come on. Look at look around here today. This is a great way, a great perspective, I think, to guard against imposing our preferences upon people. Ask yourself, is this going to make it difficult for this person to come to the Lord. Now, now somebody who's been a believer for many years, you should be able to tell them something, okay? But, but new believers, non-believers, just immature believers, you got to watch out for them. Okay, and that's what this situation, this whole situation is. Paul, Barnabas, Peter, James, they're all, they've been, they've been in this. They're fighting the good fight. But, you know, we've got some new believers, some Gentiles, and they're, they're, Seeking the Lord wholeheartedly, we need to do what we can for them. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to throw aside all the Jews. We're not going to throw aside all the people who think they know God or or who have followed God's commands for a really long time but just now know Jesus. We're not going to throw them to the side for the Jews' sake or for the Gentiles' sake, pardon me. But let's help out our brothers and sisters. It's a great way for us to watch out and make sure we don't do the same thing as they were doing. And Romans chapter 14, it's a great chapter to read. Um, We kind of talked about this, but in Romans chapter 14, Paul very clearly talks about issues such as eating meat sacrificed to idols, 
that might be a sin for one person and might not be for another person. And that, that can be a hard concept to grasp, but it's all based on faith, okay? Curtis, can you murder somebody in faith? Okay, no. That bi- and that's why that's a command from God. Like, like, no, you can't murder somebody and say, like, well, I did it out of faith, you know? Bec- like, like, it comes out of my love for Jesus. That, that won't happen. But eating meat that happens to be sacrificed to idols is one of those things that you can do. Somebody can potentially do out of faith. They could say, I mean, it's, it's just meat. I'm thanking God for it. Right? I'm asking God to, to bless it. And I didn't sacrifice it to an idol. So some people can do that. But other people say, uh, I mean, this stuff was this. Somebody else touched this and somebody else sacrificed this to an idol. I don't, I don't think it's something I can handle. And that's okay. And both are okay. There's the strong in faith and the weak in faith. And the strong is the person who can do things. And that's what, that's what everybody gets wrong, and that's what everybody was getting wrong here, and that's what the Jews were getting wrong. They said, like, hey, 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 we're the strong in the faith, okay? We've been doing this thing for a while. you got to get circumcised. And what Paul basically says in Romans chapter 14 is no, you're actually the ones who are weak in your faith because you've got a bunch of restrictions you got to follow because you can't handle that much freedom. And again, it's not uh, being weak is not a bad thing. We've got to watch out for those weak brothers and sisters. Being strong is not a, a bad thing. Being, being like what would maybe seem dominant because you don't want to be as long as you're not domineering. Right? The strong are not supposed to impose their freedoms upon other people and say, like, hey, no. Hey, just so you know, like those cookies I baked, you know, the butter was sacrificed to idols. Right? That that in modern day context. I mean we're <laughs> so you you don't <laughs> next week, right? <laughs> You don't want to throw somebody in that situation where they just had your cookies and now they realize, right? Or, hey, maybe somebody's like gluten-free and you'd be like, oh, by the way, like <laughs> there actually was gluten in there, but, and you're fine. So, and you, you don't want to throw somebody, that weaker brother or sister in that situation, just because you're strong, just because you can handle gluten, you don't want to throw that brother or sister in that, that situation. But it's the other way around, too. Okay, just because you're, oh, you're gluten-free doesn't mean everybody has to eat your gluten-free cookies, okay? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Seriously, though, just because you can't eat meat, sacrifice idols, just because you have a problem with somebody's t-shirt, okay, doesn't mean you should go around telling everybody about it. You handle that on your on yourself. Just because you have a problem, let's say, cool, like watching a certain type of show or movie or whatever, that doesn't mean you go and say, like, no, nah, that stuff's the devil. It may be the devil for you, and, and so stay away from it. Do your job and honor God and only do what you can do out of faith. All right. The last thing we've got to look at in James' speech, he says, the Gentiles who bear my name. 
Gentiles who bear my name. Gentiles who bear my name, who carry my name. Compare that to what Peter said. Why are we trying to forcibly carry this law that we haven't even been able to carry? We can't bear it. It's too much for us. But what do they now bear? The name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. A law, here's the point, a law that neither Jews nor Gentiles could bear has been replaced with the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. We no longer have to carry the weight of the law in hope that we can be saved because we won't be. Jesus carried it for us. Jesus' yoke, Jesus' burden is light, he says. Why? Because his was heavy. The one he carried was heavy. Not just the cross, okay? He, he, he took upon him our flesh. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside what he had and took upon himself our nature. And not only that, but he took upon himself our sins when he was on the cross. The heaviest burden of all, and that burden that we cannot carry, he took upon himself. Those filthy rags, he took upon himself, not to wash them clean, but to burn them up. We cannot fulfill the law, but Jesus did. We cannot be perfect, because that's what fulfilling the law would be. But Jesus was. The law is perfect. Scripture says that time and again. The law is perfect. It's Nothing in it is wrong. Nothing in it is too much. Nothing in it is, is now changed. The law is perfect. And even if we could obey it, though, what Scripture also tells us is the law is still not enough. Even if we could. Let's say you follow every command in the law of Moses and you follow the Sermon on the Mount, you love your neighbor and all that stuff. Let's say you follow those commands. Where's the healing for your body in there? There's no healing found in obedience to the law, even if it was perfect obedience. There's no eternal life found in perfect obedience to the law. Eternal life is something else, and it's something we don't own, but Jesus does. Redemption. Intimacy with God is not found through strict observance of a strict code, through circumcision. Salvation is not found in obedience to the law. Salvation didn't come when the law was given. What, was, what came when the law was given was condemnation because it showed us all how terrible we all really are. Purpose, a purpose for your life is not found in strict obedience to the law. All of these things, eternal life, salvation, purpose, redemption, healing, are found in Jesus only, and only by Jesus' grace. Only by Jesus' grace. Obviously. It's not that obeying God's commands is wrong. It's not that it's bad. It's not that we don't have to to, to work at it, because we do. And that's what read James if you need. But our acts of righteousness, our righteous acts, which we can do, 
come out of faith, and that's the only way we can do that. They come out of that faith in Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you have loved me so much. Jesus, I believe that you gave your life for the world to be saved. That's why I'm going to love my brother or sister. That's why I'm going to sacrifice my life for my brother or sister. That's why I'm going to preach the message you preach. It's all out of faith in Jesus. So they send the letter. The word is well received. The Gentiles are very happy. They say, okay, we can do this, right? We can stay away from the meat sacrifice. Yes, the sexual morality, we agree. Yes, we can, we can keep away from drinking or eating blood. Thank you that we don't have to be circumcised. The Gentiles are happy. It encourages them. They say, good, our Jewish brothers and sisters love us, take care about us. But the sad thing is the next story that we're finally going to get to, the next story is another issue, an internal issue, an internal dispute battle that happens that isn't resolved properly. And it's a sad thing. So let's get into it. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. The implication there is all the ones we learned about last week um, in this first missionary journey. Let's go back and visit them, see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. If you'll remember, when they reached Pamphylia, it says that, okay, that's where John left them and went back to Antioch. And right here, we're seeing that play out now. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm kind of done with John. Like, I'm not trying to bring him around on this trip. And Barnabas, the, the encourager, says, no, no I mean, you got to give him a second chance. He's still our brother. He's still good. He's still working for the Lord. He just left us there. Who knows why he left? It may have been because of the persecution. He may have chickened out, in, in, for lack of better words. Um, or it may have been other reasons. And Paul was done with him. Barnabas wanted to give him some grace. They had such a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement. Same thing that happened before, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They part from one another. After journeying on that first missionary journey, the first ever people to go out there and spread the love of Jesus, the first people, doing it together, being persecuted together. Paul was stoned at the one place, maybe Barnabas was too, but they were persecuted together, they preached together, they shared the word together, they fought these false teachers together, they, they looked out for their brothers and sisters, they went to Jerusalem together, they spent time with Peter and James and all the apostles there together, and now they separate from one another because of a sharp disagreement. They allow this disagreement to take control and they part from one another. But what is so important to notice is the last bit there. Barnabas took Mark, Mark, he sailed for Cyprus. They continue to do good work. If you didn't know, John Mark is who we believe wrote the book of Mark. Great man. But Paul chose Silas. Great man. If you continue to read about Paul, Silas was with him a lot. They left, commended by the believers, 
to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here's the point, last point. God's work will always move forward. Always move forward. It, it will always move forward in spite of us, in spite of our plans, in spite of our schemes, in spite of our failures, in spite of how we fall short time and time again, it, in spite of the fact that we cannot obey the law completely, we can't carry out God's will completely, we fail every day. In spite of that fact, God's plan, God's will moves forward. Always moving forward. And that's great news. That's good news. God continued to use Paul. God continued to use uh, Barnabas. And then he uses those who were with them. And maybe it was a great opportunity for those to get trained. Silas and Mark. Mark probably learned a lot from Barnabas. Silas from Paul. Great stuff. But it is interesting to think what might have been. And even if you know, God had great things happen through them breaking up, okay, through their splits. And maybe that was a part of God's ultimate plan. I'm, I mean, it's in there, so I guess so. But it's never God's intention that there should, should be such a division among us. That this is what causes church splits. And one church might go off, and they form another one, and next thing you know, you got two healthy churches, maybe. Uh, who are growing and now serving different areas, and maybe that's great, but I'll tell you what, it's never God's will for the people of God to divide over issues like this. And ultimately, it's a simple issue. I understand why I could get heated. I understand why Paul could be mad. I understand why Barnabas would want to give a second chance. And we don't know who's right, and I guess I'm pretty sure that's the part of the point, that even in issues where there, we don't know who's right, we got to figure them out. We need solutions. We need grace and mercy with one another. We need to look out for the weaker brother. It maybe in this case, that was Paul, because Paul says, no, I can't handle Mar John Mark anymore. And Barnabas says, like, no, we can take him on. I, and so maybe Barnabas is the stronger in this situation, saying, no, this is something that's okay for us to do. We'll give him another chance. And Paul, Barnabas, weaker, stronger, whichever way it goes, it's not a problem. It's not a bad thing. But they let it divide them. No compromise, no, no seeking of wisdom as far as it, it looks like. And they break apart in a way that God didn't intend. Big issues. Big issues, but they got to be dealt with. And it happens in the church. It's going to happen here. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be discussions. There's going to be dissension. There's going to be uh, debate. It might be at a board meeting. It might be at a business meeting. It might be... When you're off site, it might be when you're on site, it might be with the pastor, it might be with each other. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got to figure out solutions to these things. We've got to seek godly wisdom. And even in the case of if it's with a pastor, there's godly wisdom around. There's godly wisdom around, right? There's godly wisdom outside of these four walls, too. And we've got to be willing to seek those things. We have to be willing to look out for the weaker brothers and sisters. That's going to solve a lot of problems if we stop imposing our own preferences upon people who they don't prefer the same thing because they came from somewhere else. They came from a different direction. And maybe someday they'll like the same Christian music you do. But does it really matter? These issues got to be solved. So let's do that, man. This season, and man, even in your families, if you're trying to reach people with the love of Jesus, these Gentiles, right? If you're trying to reach people with the love of Jesus, you know, don't let your, your own personal convictions get in the way of the message of the gospel. Amen?
Amen. Can we stand this morning? Take this word with you and carry it out among each other, among your family, among non-believers. Just, just check yourself. Watch out for the weaker. Serve the stronger, man. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and mercy. God, you're so good. Jesus, I thank you for what you've done for us. God, that we don't have to carry this burden, that we don't have to with hold up hold up the entire law, that, that we don't have to follow a strict code in the hope that we could somehow achieve salvation, man, because we can't. But Jesus, you did it. You followed everything. You loved God more than any of us could. You followed him with all your heart, even to death, death on a cross, even to bearing all of our sins. Jesus, you, you followed the will of the Father. We thank you, Jesus, that you did that, that you left your throne in heaven to come down to be one of us and do what we couldn't do and do what we can't do. Jesus, I ask that you would make us, change us into a body that is one, a body that represents you, a body that has you as the head and receives all of our instruction and authority and information and guidance from you, the head of this church, from the pastor to the new believer to the child, to the youth, to the leaders, from the toe to every finger, Lord, to the eyes and every part of the body, Lord, that we would all receive our information from you and follow you with all of our hearts. Jesus, I thank you for the example you gave us. Help us to carry it out, especially in this season, Lord especially in time with family, especially in time with one another. God, give us wisdom to deal with issues, big issues that might arise among us, Lord, that they wouldn't be so big in light of your wisdom. God, be with your people as they go today. Bless them, I pray. Amen. Amen. See you next week, everybody. And